start out in this podcast telling a, a story that come from Soren Kierkegaard called The King and the Maiden. He wrote, Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all his opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? I mean, how could she know for sure? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden, and to let shared love cross the gulf between them. For it is only in love that an unequal can become and be made an equal. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her. So he clothed himself as a beggar. He approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loose about him. This was not just a disguise. The king took on a total new identity. He had renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers. You know, it hadn't been too long that at this point in our journey that would be somewhat uh, reminiscent of a moment in uh, Kara and my life while we were down in Pensacola, Florida. And I remember so distinctly coming home from work because, you know, I was flying aircraft and uh, getting ready to get into that uh, seat in the F-15 Strike Eagle. I remember coming home one day and realizing that there was a certain amount of impersonable nature inside of me concerning my wife and you know that I was sort of, you know, nitpicky and performance oriented and very, uh, you know, when you're flying aircraft, you, you have to be precise and uh, it can get into relationships, you know, when we're overly performance oriented and we're not personable. And I remember coming home one day and just seeing her and realizing how much I loved her and just how dear she was to my heart and how just sweet she is to me. And um, and I went over and I think that I'd said something to her that was a little crass and out of the way about, I think there was one object on the floor and I, it just bothered me because everything had to be just sort of perfect for me. And I realized I was, I'd brought damage to our relationship and uh, I, we we went into the laundry room in our house in Florida, and I just grabbed her and and held her, and I think we just sort of fell down on the floor in the laundry room. And I said to her, you know, I was like, I love you so much, you know, and I'm sorry, you know, for the way I acted about some random object that has nothing to do with how I feel about you. And I prayed with her, and while I was holding her, I said to the Lord. 
Lord, could you teach me how to love like you do? And I, I want to learn the path of love that's presence-oriented and not performance-based. And, you know, it wasn't too long after that. I, You know, I, sometimes I think maybe that's what started this whole journey for us was being in that moment of uh, just asking the Lord to learn the path of love. And, of course, not this story's been told before, but, you know, we leave and he sends us to the little the little cottage uh, house in, in Saluda, and we begin our journey. And after we've been on that journey for some time, there's a podcast called The Dark Night where I deal with the Song of Solomon. We were having these literal just encounters with Jesus related to the verses of the Song of Solomon. And I would say at this point of where I'm at right now uh, with, with this episode, we were coming to the end of uh, these literal just encounters with Jesus related to each verse. And it's probably like what's happening is we're having a non-presumptive encounter where the Lord will make a situation happen with the Scripture and an objective truth reality that's subjectively happening to us. And uh, we're, we're going verse by verse through these these encounters. And MZ Hoppet, had, you know, at this point has started and is coming off the ground. And uh, at the end of Song of Solomon, uh, I get to this verse in Song of Solomon and there's, I'll just go to Song of Solomon's 8 and we're coming through these experiences of with the Lord and uh, get up to the verse in 8 where it, it says um, in verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man would offer all the goods of his house for love, he would utterly be scorned and despised. Another translation, that was Amplified Classic, but in another translation, it says, let's say King James says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned or despised or it would be contemptible. I was on this path with the Lord, this path of love. I'm, I'm going to get to know my bride, my girl that I marry and, and uh, I love so much. I wanted to know the inside and outside of her heart. And I didn't know how serious it was with the Lord that things, things and objects and what so many of us men have put so much attention on in regards to provision and making sure we have nice homes and land and cars and uh, yachts and boats and motorcycles and all the different things that I didn't know the the pressure of shame that can come on your soul when you can't give that or that you are saying I'm going to set the principle of love higher than any other outside object that I want to get to know you more deeply and this was happening in our life and it's very real um, because of uh, the income situation and the little home that we're in, it's a really run-down place. When we move into it, we've improved it through the years and uh, living there. And, it, and you can feel the contempt of people that don't really love. They don't really want to come near our situation because it sort of is so exposing. Because it's like after all this time now, why haven't you been able to have something nicer and better and more improved upon? And so, you know, you feel the shame of that. And then yet there's, there's this sense of we're going deeper and deeper in love. And recently, my daughter, you know, Lydia, she's, she's telling me, she's like, Dad, you know, the principle of our home has been love never fails. 
And I believe that this is this was an occurrence that was happening in our family. And what happens in these beginning days as the Lord is starting to build the MZ Hop to Melchizedek House Prayer is we were running internships. I was doing an internship called Egress uh, from uh, out of Revelation 4 where uh, the Lord is speaking to John saying, Come up here and I will show you a door that's in the heaven. And he's being called up into the heavens to receive revelation uh, that he gives us, the revelation of Jesus. And while we were doing our internship with my interns, that we end up having a lot of encounters with the Lord through prayer. But one thing that ended up happening was the Lord started talking about a, a war machine that he was going to mobilize in the end times that was going to come out of intimacy with him out of the house of prayer movement. And that he was going to take the Song of Solomon and he was going to build a global intercessory machine of war that would end up overthrowing the enemy's kingdom. And that many were in process in the prayer movement to get their intimacy uh, right with him because he was going to mobilize intercession and declaration. And so uh, there needed to be a healing. And it was about this time that uh, that I was asked to come into our local a glow chapter and preach. And I, some, I believe Daisy Smith, she's heading up that chapter and has so beautifully for years. And I was asked to come in and speak. And um, <laughs> I remember I, I was like, oh, Lord, you know, I'm a male, and I'd really like to go talk to a bunch of my guy friends uh, about you. And I really want to go to an all-women's meeting with a glow and be that guy, you know, it made me feel sort of awkward and like I was effeminate or something. And, you know, I'm a warrior. I'm a, I'm don't know. I know that I'm pursuing this path of love, but I mean, at the heart of me is I'm man to the man, you know, even my name, Carol, it means, I found out later it means manly or champion or fierce warrior. And, you know, my middle name means lion. And so I'm like any kind of thing that's like making me feel that feeling I'm sort of, I know that I would want it, but another part of me is saying, you know, no, I'm a warrior. You know, I'm going to use an aircraft uh, to go and deal with our enemies by employing uh, missiles and bombs. That's that's kind of my world. I want to defend you guys, but I don't necessarily want to hang out with you, <laughs> you, you ladies. And so, I, but I was asked, and, and so I thought, well, here I go. And they still laugh about this some, but... I ended up writing a whole manuscript, and I was using words that, I mean, I I did receive it from the Lord, but it was so uh, impersonal and rigorous intellectually and academically. I I remember everybody's kind of looking at me, and I read the whole manuscript that day, I mean, uh, because I had no ability to think that I could relate to them in the least bit uh, as, as a man to a bunch of ladies. Well... I got done with the GLOW meeting, and through the years, by the prompting of the Lord, I'm going to be asked to come in and do a GLOW meetings, And and so uh, out of that, I started to realize uh, from the Lord that he, he was saying, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to take a, an intercessory work and build a war, you know, war horse movement and uh, because I'm going to mobilize this intercession in a declarative way through the prayer movement and through the glow to cause an overthrow of the empire of the enemy. And he started to reveal this to our egress team of interns that 
each city cities would mobilize an intercession and and there would be a, a way to facilitate that and that one day this ministry that we were receiving in MZ Hop would uh, be a mobilization strategy that would employ a war motif in standing directly against the forces of darkness and the powers of the air at the end of the age when the Antichrist kingdom and the new world order came in line and we would prophesy uh, the book of Revelation and that, that, that many of us have been made ready for this through the song of the Lord, the writing of the Lord, the preaching and teaching of the Lord and intercessory prayer of the Lord. And, and so he was saying, you know, I want you to get ready for that. And, uh, and one day uh, this will become a uh, citywide mobilization across the cities of the earth. <clears throat> and in Songa, Solomon, because, uh, and, and it's going to go on towards the end, there's going to be this, uh, verse 13, you dwell in the gardens, thy companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. And make haste, my beloved, she says, and be like a roe or a young heart upon the mountain of spices. And the Song of Solomon ends there that she's not afraid anymore to face adversity and leap across obstacles with the Lord. And that her voice is going to be heard in this end time. This, these, this intercessors in America, the intercessory groups like with a Glow, um, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and many other global intercessory words are going to come online in the end of the age and will not be hurting in the sense of intimacy anymore and being repaired in intimacy, but with, with a voice of unity will come out against this new world order and the, uh, the false tyranny of, of the Antichrist, even, even with the loss of life that will probably happen as Scripture has uh, said. Well... <clears throat> I, uh, from that point, uh, I was led to uh, read, and, and many of you may have also, also have read Rick Joyner's uh, book, The Torch and the Sword. And so I'm just going to jump into uh, chapter four, he calls the plan. And I, uh, I want to jump into this for a little bit, and then I have a story to go with it. And so it says in chapter four, I, I was watching the man approach. It seemed like it was a colonial in the colonial American times. His hair was long and gray. I suspect it was a colonial wig. He walked with purpose and was a little bow-legged as if he had spent much of his life on a horse. She is right. Wells can help a few people, but they are mostly temporary. Uh, they often become polluted or dry up. You certainly have a treasure here, he remarked. Yes, I have never tasted anything so wonderful, I replied. I was talking about the girl, he said. Yes, she is truly remarkable for one so young. I have never met anyone like her, I responded. Well, you're about to meet many more like her. They're both boys and girls, and they will be better fighters than most men in your times. You must be prepared for them. And he, he said, well, how?" this is Rick talking to this colonial American Man, he said, "How can I? What can I do to pre uh, prepare for them?" I asked, and he he said, "You must learn to ride this horse." Well, who are you? I inquired. He said, "I am John Wesley. I am speaking to you as a torchbearer who was also given a horse like this one." So Rick Joyner is is receiving this horse. He's met this little girl, and they're talking about digging the wells of revival but that the Lord is wanting to bring something in greater than wells dug 
that he's wanting to bring a streams in and the river of God to flow in, in the nation. And so this is sort of the context. And if you haven't read Torch in the Sword, I mean, I highly recommend that you read it. It's an excellent book of an experience that Rick with Morningstar Ministries uh, went through. So back to the story, he says, um, I'm speaking to you as a torchbearer who also was given a horse like this one. And I'm sure you're familiar with the circuit riders and the circuit rider movement, if you're not, in the Wesleyan movement that happened all over our nation for the, the spreading of Methodism. So he said, you're a help to prepare the coming ones. In my time, there were but a handful of torchbearers and only a couple who rode the white horses. But in your time, there will be thousands of torchbearers and hundreds of these great stallions. Now you are here to learn about your purpose. You are called as one of those who will help awaken the coming great host. Then you must help to train them, preparing them for the last battle. I hardly feel that I can train anyone here, Rick's saying. I'm learning more from this little girl than I am teaching her, I responded sincerely. And just to stop for a minute, I hope that you hear the young maiden story with Soren Kierkegaard that I read you at the beginning and the king coming in to approach her, to uh, take on a new identity, renounce his throne to declare his love and to win hers because this is the same kind of motif that's being spelled out here by Rick Joyner with this young girl. He goes on to say, it is because you're willing to learn from her that you will become a trusted teacher. Keep drinking and keep listening. I will help you, as, as will all of the torchbearers who have gone before you. I can teach you in a few hours what it took me a lifetime to learn. What we cannot give you, the children will. They are wise because they are teachable. If you remain teachable, you will be wise beyond your years, regardless of how old you get to be. You can receive the wisdom of the ages. Remember that your primary purpose is to learn, not to teach. The primary teaching that you have for the coming ones is to teach them how to learn. This is what it means to be a disciple. You are forever a student. Each one that you meet will teach you more about how to learn, and you will teach them the same. Now I want to just like put a little plug in here for learning. Most of what you're going to experience with the Lord is you're going to be triggered and challenged in your capacity all the time with the Lord. And so you've got to be willing to move in your discipleship. It's so important what John Wesley in this story is telling Rick Joyner uh, because learning has got to be a, it takes humility to, say, to allow someone else to speak in our life and not presume that you already know the answer to things. Uh, and to really hear what other people are trying to express, uh, especially if you are triggered. What I mean is if it affects you in a negative way, you probably are missing something or there might be pride exhibited there and there's something for you to get to know. So back to the story, he said, we are certainly in a situation that's beyond my present knowledge or wisdom to know how to handle. And I responded, it seems that this horse and learning how to ride it are the keys to us defending this stream. If you are here to help me, I am ready. So he says, one thing that you must know and not forget, Wesley said sternly, is she was right when she said you cannot retreat. You are now surrounded and there is nowhere to run. A few wells are left in this region, but they are drying up fast. You must defend this river and gather your army here. How do I gather an army if there are just a few wells in this region and there are not enough faithful ones to build an army? No, there are not. You may gather a few from them, but your army is the very one that is descending on you here. Your victory over this evil horde is to convert its soldiers. 
Then you must teach them to drink from the stream. You must add others to them, and they must go forth to conquer. I can also assure you that if you will fight and not give up, you cannot lose. The little girl spoke up. I knew it. Many of my friends and relatives are in this evil army. I knew they would one day be soldiers of the king. You are right, Wesley continued. You must do more than just set them free from their bondage. You must train, equip, and release them to go and recover the wells the enemy has stopped up and heal the streams of the river which have been polluted and buried. As I looked up and thought about the huge horde above us, I remembered what a great general once said when told that he was surrounded. Great! Now we have them where we want them. They can't get away this time, attack in every direction. As I was thinking about this, I noticed Wesley looking at me and he asked, Can you be so bold? It doesn't seem that we have a choice, I replied. It is a remarkable thing that they are so numerous and have us surrounded and we are so few, but they are in our trap. Certainly only the Lord could ever pull off such a victory. And certainly it will be, a, it will be the Lord who gets the credit for it, Wesley and the girl both said. I looked at the fortress that the evil horde was building in the valley. Already it would be hard to conquer with many soldiers. I listened to the commotion of the horde at the top of the mountains all around. It was massive multitudes and multitudes. What could a girl, a horse, and even John Wesley and I do against such a force? I can no longer fight the battles which are on the earth. I am now a part of the great company of witnesses. Through my life I can speak and teach, but you must do the fighting. I can encourage you that several times in my life I was surrounded like this, with very few with me. Each time I saw the victory of the Lord. Do not become discouraged by how dark it becomes or how many rise up against you. You cannot lose if you do not retreat. And he goes on to say, and I'm going ahead a little bit here, he said, Many have the honor of carrying a manifestation of the Lord's presence, but few are called to start a movement. The torches are all given to start movements, but not many carry them forward in such a way to start in advance of the truth. The horse represents the movement which you have been called to start. Movements have the purpose of taking back ground from the enemy. They are for establishing strongholds of truth which the enemy cannot prevail against. These become safe places for the captives who are released from their bondage to be healed, restored, and armed to go back into the battle. Many will draw close to those who have the torch, but they will only follow into battle those who have the horse as well. The more who drink from this stream, the larger it will grow. In this way, you can turn this little stream into a river that overflows until it reaches many other places. As it begins to grow here, when it breaks out into other valleys and deserts, it will be much stronger and deeper. And then Rick asked, how do I draw others here? I asked, it's obvious that we need a lot of help if we're to convert this army that surrounds us. You will draw others by drinking from the river yourself. You must teach them to drink until they are healed and can see. And he goes on later on, he says, With the horse you must ride and warn the people about the invasion of their land. You can mobilize them to fight the good fight. You cannot retreat any further. There is nowhere else to go. But if you resist the enemy, he will eventually flee. If you do not resist, you are doomed. And he goes on later again to say, You can't put out every little fire. You must destroy the fortress. And with that being said, you know, take time to listen to the podcast 
called Signet Ring because in that podcast I'm going to deal with what it means to destroy the fortress as you go through this. <clears throat> well, I, I had read this story uh, in this context and the Lord had put this torch and sword before me and the Lord you know, speaks to me and he says, you know, I'm calling for a movement of, of this war horse and this war machine and I'm asking you to step forward in it, son. And I, I told our team and they had, uh, had come up to our house and we ate together and I was sharing this with them and I said, I really believe the Lord's calling for us to engage with this movement. And our MZ Hop team said, yes, and, you know, let's go with it. And one of the most interesting things happened. Uh, I got a call from one of my friends that I actually flew with down in Pensacola. And his name is Mark, and his wife's name is Sarah, uh, Mark and Sarah Borg. And Mark called me. He, he's Marine Corps and was flying helicopters, but we were in the same training program for a little bit of time. And we have become really you know, good friends with them. And Mark wrote, uh, called me and said, uh, I'd like to come up and see you, Carol, in Saluda. And I said, well, yeah, you guys come on up and uh, visit with us, and uh, we'll have dinner together. And he said, yeah, I can't stay very long, but Sarah and I want to come and see you and Kara. And so they uh, came up, and uh, we saw you know Sarah in her car and noticed that Mark is, came up on his own off-road motorcycle that he had bought. And, um, you know, I thought, well, that's, you know, I just thought it was kind of a, like an odd thing uh, why he had brought up a motorcycle with him from Georgia, I believe is where they were coming from. And, and so uh, they come up to the house and Kara had prepared dinner for us. I think it was spaghetti or something. And we were sitting around the uh, table and Mark said to me, he said, hey, Carol, do you mind if I say grace tonight and uh, pray over the meal? And I said, no, I have no problem with that, Mark. And, uh, Mark begins to just thank the Lord, and I was just so blessed by him, just his prayer that night, and you know his leadership as a Marine and who he was, who he is, and Sarah, she's just such a sweet person, and he says, I, I thank you, Lord, for the meal tonight and for the Moffats and our friendship, and um, and he said, uh, he said, and I just thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to give Carol this motorcycle, and uh, I was like. What and he? I look up at him and he takes the keys across the table and he puts them in. And I said, No, 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 no. Now you're not giving me that motorcycle. And he says, uh, Now, Carol, now you're going to take this motorcycle and uh, because the Lord told me to bring you this motorcycle. And I said, Oh, Mark, please don't do that. And he said, No. Nope. So the Lord told me to do this and I do what He tells me to do. And you know. Uh, he said, I want you to come out and look at it and see see what I have. And so we go out there and look at it, and I'm just sort of amazed. It's it's an on-off-road bike. It's a thousand cc's. It's it's like a twelve thousand dollar motorcycle. And uh, he has all the paperwork on it. Signs the title over to me. Gives me uh, all the gear with it. Shows me the records on it. How he had taken care of it. And said, This is yours. And, and that was it. They, 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 uh, they go to their place. They were staying that evening. Uh, we have a wonderful dinner with them. And here I've got this motorcycle. I, you have to understand something because I had asked the Lord, if you're talking to me about being a movement leader in the end times to mobilize a war machine for global intercession, I want you to, I want you to give me a sign and I, I asked the Lord 
to give me an on off-road motorcycle. So I'm when it happens, I'm really shocked because I'm not asking Mark or anything for an off-road motorcycle. And he says the Lord just told him to bring it up and give it to me. And so here I am sitting with this burgundy red 1,000cc motorcycle. And get this, I come to find out the name of the motorcycle means like stream. And I had just read this Rick Joyner Torch in the Sword. And about the movement of God and the story you know that I just read you and that the Lord was going to mobilize mobilize for war in the end times to stand against the forces of darkness here I am with this now later on in the book and I'm just going to I'm going to bring this up is in the uh, chapter 4 of the, of the plan he says you must learn to ride this horse now one of the problems with this motorcycle that Mark gives me. You have to understand. Back in my early, I think I was er, my early twenties, I had received a motorcycle, or I purchased a motorcycle that was a circle track racer that was being raced over in Europe, and it basically been geared in such a way that if I st- uh, pushed on the throttle on it full on, it would it, it would lift the uh, tire about two to three inches off the ground, meaning that it wouldn't just do a wheelie because it had been made to give it full acceleration, full power without throwing you off of it. I love my motorcycle. And I laid it down two times. I almost got myself killed a few times doing, you know, well over 160 mile an hour on back roads down in Georgia. I'm not advocating for any of that. And I was a little bit reckless as a young man because I love to go fast. Well, I've been tempered by the time Mark brings me this 1,000cc on off-road, so I get up on it, and you know I weigh about 215, 220 pounds, I'm right at 6'2". I get up on this bike, and uh, it literally, literally scares me. I'm almost scared to death to ride the thing, and you know I'm not, I'm just not ready for it. And uh, so I, I take it down the road and I give it just a little bit of throttle. Now the, the bike I'd had in my early 20s was a 750cc a Kawasaki Ninja ZX7, I believe is what it was. Uh, that was, again, it was geared up for uh, circle track racing. Uh, but this bike, it just felt like I'm high off the ground. I'm running, it's a thousand cc motorcycle. You barely touch the throttles and the thing wants to, like a horse, like throw you right off of it. And I end up not really wanting to ride it, which is really shocking for my personality because anybody that knows me knows that it just kind of throw me into something like that, and I would love it. And so I'm not necessarily – I'm receiving something from the Lord, but I'm not exactly ready to lead a movement. And I, I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm not ready for this. And so I'm not ready for the white horse or the horse that the Lord has given for this movement at that time in my life. And so um, I end up I end up later on, I'm going to take the bike, and I, I sell it. And Kara and I, we sow, the Word tells us to sow all the money into the move of God that he's told us to prepare for. And so that's what ends up happening with the bike. And But after that experience happened with Mark and the bike and uh, MZ Hop and, and the ministry, it was around... Uh, 2014, and I think I've now done another Glow meeting, and Steve Scroggs Sr. 
uh, wants to meet with me. And he, he says, I'd like to have a meeting with you, Carol. And him and I hadn't really talked since, I guess it had been 2011. And we get together and he uh, begins to tell me a story. And we talk about a lot of things in that, in that time, but I'm not bringing up all that. But he, he begins to tell me this story about Bob Jones. Now, him and Bob had got together frequently for a number of years on Wednesday every week. And he had got to know Bob, and they had got very close. And Steve was the pastor of Mountain Vintage Fellowship in, in Asheville, and, which became the Axe Church under Todd Eaton. And Steve started to tell me that Bob told him that while he was out in Kansas City with Mike and their leadership team, and, and you can listen to Mike's podcast, you know, I don't know if he has a podcast, but he has an episode on this, how Bob had told him that IHOP was a movement and that it, uh, Mike has this experience about, again, go listen to his experience, and I'll put it up in our notes, but about being this little horse, this little, this little white horse. And Bob had believed that it was his job to keep the little white horse, he says, in the stream away from the rabid dogs. And this is like the religious system and people trying to take IHOP and take Mike Bickle off of their their pursuit for Jesus and what Jesus had called the International House of Prayer to. Bob ends up coming uh, to North Carolina and, and or South Carolina. He's going to go to Fort Mill with Rick Joyner. And Bob ends up relating to Steve that that mare white horse of IHOP ended up having this um, baby war horse. And this war horse was going to come to Western North Carolina. Now, I'm sitting here listening to Steve tell this, and I have this background with the war machine and a glow. I have uh, Mark Borg, after reading, you know, the the torch and the sword, uh, on the getting on this horse to build this war horse to build this war machine for global intercession, and the, the war was going to bring a glow together and bring the, the uh, international global move for intercession together to mobilize against the antichrist system and the new world order and i have that whole background now that steve's telling me hey carol bob said that ihop kansas city that mayor that white horse mayor had a war horse and god said to bob that he sent that war horse to western north carolina and Steve looks at me and he says, I think that the ministry that you're working in right now uh, and our ministry that we've had may have picked up that assignment in uh, our region. And and so I just sat, sat there sort of flabbergasted because, you know, I didn't know this story. I didn't know that Steve had been intimately involved with Bob. I didn't know Bob's uh, background with him, nor how he related this story about the mare white horse coming in and having a baby war horse and coming to Western North Carolina. And I wouldn't have even seen our ministry, so to speak, in connection with that if I wouldn't have had the background story that I just uh, shared with you. So later on, and I'm going to put this link up too because this comes from John Kilpatrick, Henry and Wendy Todd, who we're on assignment with here now for this work, Wendy last year, she brought to me this uh, message from John Kilpatrick. Now, remember, our whole journey started with John Kilpatrick down in Pensacola. And so now John Kilpatrick is in his ministry. He's prophesying from the Lord about how there had been people who had been called to 
ride the horse in the end times and yet had not been ready to ride it. But now with the sovereign move of God that the word had been getting these these leaders ready and many of us ready because uh, getting us ready to ride for the move of God in this last time. And Wendy Todd brought me this. And of course, Wendy and Henry don't know this story. So she brings it to me, says, uh, Carol, I really believe the Lord wants you to hear this. And man, I just sat there. I was like flabbergasted because, um, I mean, if I'd ever been gunshot in my life in the last couple of years, you know, and this is, we're in the 2017 to 2019 window, I think I've, I felt more what Moses had felt of anybody when it comes to leading anything. You know, hey, let Aaron speak. I don't want to talk anymore. And I thank the Lord for Henry and Wendy because they have stood beside Kara and I so much and probably one of the most difficult times. The only reason why a podcast is happening now is I would say, you know, to the grace of God, but to how dear they've been to our life. And they wouldn't want all the glory to go to Jesus. But, uh, you know, Henry just compelling me, please get out and and tell these stories. And uh, I'm on assignment. And, you know, they have been waiting 20 years uh, for their assignment to come. And we met them here in the Western North Carolina area. And sometime I, I can't wait for you to hear their story. But it sort of really intervenes in this moment for me of, saying, you know, hey, it's time to get on this horse and ride. And don't be so uh, gun-shy. Don't, you, got, you can't hold back. you got to tell these stories. And uh, the encouragement I've received from them and Kara's received from them has been remarkable in our life, and that is why these podcasts are happening right now. This, uh, so what ends, up, what ends up eventuating in this, and this is what I really want to lead in. I want to give just a transition here because... What you're going to hear next is we're going to tie on the end of this podcast is a message that, uh, again, I was invited into a GLOW and a few of the leadership for Western North Carolina GLOW are going to end up being in the meeting uh, the day that I'm I'm asked to speak and in the fire department in Asheville. And these wonderful, wonderful ladies are there. And the Lord just, I'm, I'm sitting there and I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. And I just ask you to give me a word today. And he said, today I'm going to give a word to you, son, for a GLOW International. And so uh, I'm going to make a transition here, and we're going to take that message, and uh, and I want you to listen to it as I'm in the fire department speaking uh, to a GLOW uh, International for this global move of this war machine to begin to unite. Well, first, first off, we have three wise ladies from the east. <laughs> I was sitting there, and the Lord just, you know, speaks that to me. I said they've been traveling from afar <laughs> to see a star, <laughs> and I think, you know, when I. And literally, you know, again, I had no idea, and the Lord truly has given me something. I actually, I think it may be, it may be for a glow on a national or international level, and, and you can take this word. We're going to record it, but I really think there's something very unique here. I certainly couldn't have seen it unless the Holy Spirit illuminated my eyes and vision to see it. And so I ask that we stand together, turn to Second Kings chapter four. And 
let's uh, let's just peer into scripture this morning as it relates to really I I believe it's an international word concerning his blood. And uh, man, I feel the spirit of the Lord so strong. Like he bears witness to this. Second Kings for now, verse 1, Now the wife of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you of sell or value in your house? And she said, Your handmaid has nothing in the house except for... When I have nothing, at least I have the oil. Right? Hey, when I'm down to the last, like you were saying, man, all but we have the oil of anointing of God. When it looks like everything's run out, and we're down to our last, and they're coming to collect on us, but we have the oil. Then he said, go around and borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't get a few. And when you come in, <clears throat> shut the door upon you and your sons. Then pour out the oil that you have into all these vessels, setting aside each one when it is full. Uh, so she went from him and shut the door upon herself and her sons, who brought to her the vessels as she had poured out the oil. And when the vessels were all full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one left. Then the oil stopped multiplying. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live and rest. And one day Elisha went to Shunem, where a rich and influential woman lived, who insisted on his eating a meal. And afterward, Whenever he passed by, he stopped there for a meal. Let's pray. Thank you today, Holy Spirit, for a word of succession concerning the, the Glow International. That the true daughters of the Confederacy came to the end of themselves and said, But we have the oil. Hallelujah. And have been burning the midnight oil internationally, nationally, statewide, locally. Because, Lord, you've been using a globe to be a seedbed of people that would be a hotbed for an awakening. And, Lord, you know all those that burn the oil in the midnight hour, the intercessors, that have prayed for a global shift of governmental reign and rule that would be yours. I thank you, Lord, for all the mamas and grandmamas and all the daughters loved you enough, Jesus, enough even when they ran out of everything, they still knew that you were enough. And they would be the people, Lord, that would raise up the sons and daughters of the king in a generation that would transfer over the glory that is due your name. Seems like we've run out, God. But we have the oil. Amen. I gotta say personally, I'm a byproduct of the globe. You know. <laughs>
she's not here this morning, but she lives here in Henderson County now. Sue Cook, which Pruitt from Kansas City, came into our family's life back about 30 years ago. And she had a vision of, of God that was very unique. My dad was pastor in a church at the Church of Nazarene in Norwood, North Carolina. Just a, a little rural pastorate, and Sue came in, and as the Lord had dispatched her there, and was I guess led a glow in that chapter there, and you know she she radical, radical faith. Already had seen the dead raised, you know, knew the power of your words, operating in the oil, and um, I remember she came into the house. I was 13 years of age, and I said. Uh, she, she started talking about Holy Spirit, and my I, the Bible was open in front of me, and it flipped over to Acts two, and I swam my Bible down. And I said, "I'll have no Holy Spirit." And I wasn't saved at the time. I didn't come to know or was known by the Lord. I'd rather say that He didn't save me until I was seventeen, and I'm sure it grieved uh, Sue and my mother as well, who were part of the globe, because it's like this crazy wild. God, I'm certainly not going to let him have control of me. <laughs> and you know, because we don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I remember thinking, he'll have me walking on the side of a wall and, and across the ceiling. Now I would love to do that. <laughs> but then I, I was like, I will not be controlled by another individual or entity at all. I will be the author of my destiny and no one's going to tell me what to do. You know, and we pre-conversion, understand that independent nature, right? Um, but that Sue and my mama, they had a way about praying, and, and they, the Lord touched our family. The only thing that I could say, it was like we went from black and white TV to Technicolor. Because God came into the, into the house, and, and the love of God just poured into uh, Maybe the Lord's calling. <laughs> <laughs> or Colleen's being called. God calling. <laughs> Answer your call, Colleen. <laughs> As Oz Guinness would say. <laughs> that's a good book, by the way, called by Oz Guinness. So just a per that's a little personal background that, that I have with the glow. So I've been you know, completely touched by this whole ministry, and I'm thankful for it uh, personally. That because it was real life that struck in the middle of a religious system that uh, otherwise I don't think that I would have wanted to have anything to do with God because I had an idea of God. I, I to this day can't listen to children's songs because they bring me back to a moment of an idea of, of, of a system of trying to please a, cre a creator to get his approval so that through that approval you'll finally be accepted. And I reject that now. I, I completely have had to reject that whole ideology but it's not gospel-centered. And so I'm not... Uh, I, I would say that that we are a people that would like to run the front edge of God and know and be right there with him because he first loved us, it wasn't because we're trying to catch up with him as God here now. Metamorphosis in his life and us. Living his life out from us. And that when we draw to the end of everything that we can do, God says, 
Thank you. I'm glad to finally got you the end of what you can do so I can uh, go to work. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And his life is good. And so now you live and move and have your being in him, right? I attempt to authorize this sermon today. A word when I was um, sitting there, it reminded me of something, and, and I'm going to do my best to bring this out today. And, and some of our Melchizedek people, you know, they've heard this before, but I just felt impressed with the Lord to talk about today how that there is a, let's just call it a changing of the guard. There is a shift that is happening. I don't know if you are sensing that, but it, this is reality, you know, that we're in the middle of a global shift. And there is a, a global move afoot, and it's happening. I, many people are, but you know, especially those in, in the church, they're sensing God's, there's a dynamic that, and, and we have to make this move in ourselves with, with Him, and, and, and we need some kind of understanding about it that He's moving us from a different place that we've been in into a new place, and we're having to embrace something of a, of a new idea. I want to speak a little bit of that to that today because and, and try and try to bring this out the way the Holy Spirit's put it to me. I want to go back to a story at the end of 2013, and, and some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. But it was over here, right here off Longshore Road at the YMCA Chapel. It was Monday morning. Um, you know, every Monday morning, every pastor is uh, resigning their office. <laughs> and I don't know that I was doing that this, that morning, but many of them I thought about the ministry before God and, you know, wanting to let it go and saying, oh, Lord, how are we going to get through through this? And I, I remember I was sitting there in my chair on the lawn. I'm in the room, and the Holy Spirit speaks this to me. He says, I'm going to kill Nelson, man, or excuse me, I'm going to kill Adonijah. And, and I said to the Lord, I... I don't even have the context for what he's trying to say, but so you're going to kill Adonijah. And he said, yes, I'm going to kill him. So I, I got the Google. I like how people, when they say it's the Google instead of Google, I, I just think that's funny. The Google. And I got my, I got the Google out and I, and I punched in, I punched in Adonijah. And when I did, uh, I found out that his name meant Adonai, my, my master, Jah, I am. And so, uh, when that came up, I, I punched that into the Google. Up came this uh, poem, and I want to read it to you. The, the name of the poem is Invictus. Anybody familiar with this? Uh, William Ernest uh, Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be for my, listen to this, my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond the place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Y'all heard that before? Well, that one smacks of God, doesn't it? I mean, that's a smack to God. He said, I'm going to kill that guy. 
And so I, you know, I go into the text because I didn't really know Adonijah, who he was. And I, I want to show you this this morning. And you're going to see how this will connect with 2 Kings 4 that I started out reading. You and I'm going to put this together and, I, and, and hopefully it will make sense uh, to you. But when we get into... When we get into 1 Kings chapter number 1, I want to just show you this. So if you look with me at 1 Kings 1, because today, you know, my task is to talk about or preach or minister this word of the shift of a globe that is afoot and, and to how to see yourself into the future with your mandate that you've been under for. How many years has a globe been? And, uh, anybody know? 50 years. And I think you're going to see this this morning beautifully because it comes from the Lord. 1 Kings 1.1, 1, 1, and King David was old and advanced in years. They covered him with bedclothes, but he could not get warm. And so they, the servants, the physician said to him, let there be sought for my Lord, the king of young virgin, let her wait and be useful to the king and let her lie in your bosom that my Lord, the king may get warm. So they sought a fair maiden through all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the maiden was beautiful and she waited on and nursed him, but the king had no intercourse with her. Then Adonijah, the son of David's wife, Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I'm the eldest living son, and I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men and run before him. And David, his father, had never in his life displeased him by asking, Why have you done so? He was also a very attractive man and was born after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, son of Zeruah, and with Abathar the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah and Je of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimea, Rei, and uh, David's mighty men did not side with Adonijah. If you'll just go with me over to 1 Kings 2, I just want to jump over. In verse 13, it says, Adonijah, the son of David, Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. She said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. And he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say on. He said, you know that the kingdom belonged to me as the eldest living son. And all Israel looked at me to reign. However, the kingdom has passed from me to my brother, for it was his from the Lord. I make one request that you do not deny me. And she said, say on. He said, I pray you ask King Solomon, for he will not refuse to give me, Abishag, the Shunammite, to be my wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I'll speak to you before the king. So Bathsheba went to the king Solomon, spoke to him. For Adonijah, the king rose to meet her, bowed to her, sat down on his throne and caused a seat to set his right hand for her, the king's mother. And then she said, I have one small request to you. Do not refuse me. The king said to her, ask on my mother, for I will not refuse. She said, give Abishag the Shunammite Adonijah, your brother, to be his wife. King Solomon said, answered his mother, Why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is my elder brother. Ask it, even for him. And for the supporters, Abathar, the priest, and the Joab, son of Zeruah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not requested this against his own life. Therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me the house he has promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this very day. 
So King Solomon sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to attack Adonijah, and he died. So while I'm sitting there in my chair, the Lord said, I'm going to kill Adonijah. And because uh, this matters a lot to me, that in my leadership in the earth, I will not have my people, my leaders, I will not have my leaders to master over my bride. And uh, I'm going to give you an international sign so that you'll know that I mean business. Because you would think, just sitting over here at the YMCA Chapel, that I'm not speaking to you. And he told me of this. He says, and I don't want you to quit your ministry because you're going to face some trials. And all. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. Understatement. No idea. I'm going to lose my next elder team right after that. We're going to lose more of the congregation. It's our second or third congregation we've lost. And we're going to go through another just, you know. And he said, he said uh, so here's your international side. You know, I'm going to kill Nelson Mandela. And I said, uh, Nelson Mandela, I thought he was a good guy. And he said, look at it. Look into his life. So I got the Google out. And I started looking at Mandela, you know, and apartheid, you know, and what happened to South Africa and uh, you know, how many of you know the story, like, of South Africa? Okay. You had the Dutch Reformed Church that had come in, basically, and I'm, I'm giving a really light synopsis on this, just so you understand. They came in, and many of them exploited the material and mineral wealth of South Africa for their own gain. There was, I'm not saying that all of them were bad, because they're always good in the midst of bad, but they came in and an exploitation set up to take out the diamonds and the beauty of what Africa is. And because that had happened, you know, there, there had to rise up something against apartheid, against colonialism, to colonial power coming in to take and utilize the material and mineral resources of another nation. And part of it was good in that they were trying to lay in an infrastructure to actually help the people of South Africa. And then part of it was based in greed, okay? And Tarzan actually is a good film to kind of watch, that, the new Tarzan that came out. It's a good film to kind of watch if you want to take off with this and kind of look at it. You can see how that in the middle of being exploited and being the exploiter that there will be a person who would come up in between those two things and be redemptive for the whole nation. And Tarzan's a film that really in that whole thing comes out of there. Well, Mandela and, and, and many of them hated what was happening through apartheid, and so they rose up against it. And in a, in a way, there was, there was reason for it, and in another way, it was handled inappropriately. The thing that Mandela did wrong was so numerous, and, and one of the things was is they were taking their own people uh, that were like submitting over to apartheid, and they were putting uh, tires around them, pouring gasoline on them, and setting them on fire. Their own, their own black culture. I think he had done 150-something acts of terrorism against his own people. His wife, Minnie, that just passed away from 81 years of age about a week and a half ago, she herself was that way. And they would be what we would call terrorists. They were terrorizing their own people to enforce a left-based democratic communism versus a right-based capitalistic, greedy thing. And I, I think you can see this. And I, that was what was going on. And so, but Mandela, to enforce communistic ideology, had to actually kill his own people because he really was himself greedy for power. And it was who was going to be in power. 
And you all know that there's only one safe Savior, the man Jesus Christ who lives enthroned on his people. Otherwise, people will abuse power. The man devil gets thrown into prison for his crimes against his own people uh, because he was lawless. And I, you know, I didn't know that he wrote a book, How to Be a Good Communist. Mandela's number in prison had 666 in the middle of it. Mandela, when he comes to power and is brought out of prison, will mandate two things that he will do. He'll mandate abortion on demand and promote homosexuality in South Africa. And you know as well as I do that both of those are covenant-breaking acts. They're the breaking of covenant, and they destroy the nuclear family. And they had, that was his first actions as an administrator in his nation. Why? You got to get rid of the people because there's a, there's this much wealth and we got to give it to this many people and we can't have more people because that is the mindset that's behind a master slave ideology is we have limited resources. Y'all following with me? We okay? This idea that's inside of so many people in this nation is feeling this right now is we have to distribute only this much wealth because that's all we have. And so the right and the left are fighting over a distribution of wealth because they don't know a father uncreated who can distribute and cause things to multiply out of his spoken word. They haven't got to know that father. That father that the oil is enough. I can be down, stripped down to nothing. I'll have a, a dollar, and yet I've got the oil. A glow knows it. She's had to know it for the last 50 years to prepare for a king to come. She's had to know that the oil, I, I bet many of you in here, you know what I'm talking about when you've been down to nothing. And you had to know if I hit my knees in the place of prayer, the oil is enough. Why? Because you have to know there's not limited resources in God. You've got to know that. The church has got to know that. they got to know that by his spoken word, he can declare ex nihilo is a technical term out of nothing and create something that's not been there out of nothing. And he, we have to know, and a glow does know, as one that shines brightly and has had to know, that I can declare the word of the Lord and out of the declaration of God's anointing, I can call that which is not as though that it is. Yes. The Lord, I, I tell you, he told me that day, he said, I will kill the master in you. I was like, oh. <laughs> what, what's that not just issue? Do you know that God doesn't care that men wants to be king? Solomon didn't care that Adonijah came up and went. The leader of the nation over the Department of Defense, all the armies, Joab, David's right-hand man. Solomon doesn't care if you take down the whole entire um, military might and power of an entire nation. Watch this. He doesn't care if you get. He doesn't care if you get all the offices of the military. He didn't care if you got the high priest who was over the whole entire religious system of the entire nation. You got to hear this. You got to hear what I'm saying from the Lord. The whole defense industrial complex was not more powerful. And the God Solomon served. Nor was the whole entire church or the whole religious system more powerful than the God he served. He didn't need to collect more people to make him authorized to rule as king. And he didn't care if he had all the weapons and might because he knew that there's one God whom he served. Psalms 33, it says no king. We were in a meeting a few weeks ago and 
I was dealing with this and with the Lord and you know raising up ministry and different things and people gathering and all this and it says Psalm 33 says no king finds his power based off of the number of people that agrees with him nor his own personal strength and might no king no real king has to have all these people agree with him high priest church abathar you see what i'm saying and no king no king has to have an army to support what they say and i said god every king does that he said not mine i don't need to call down ten thousand legions of angels but i can i don't need to get everybody on my team but they will see this is the kind of transfer of understanding that has to come into the the men and women of prayer, the sons and the, of a glow, the, the daughters of a glow, there's a transfer of a shifting into, hey, I serve a king. That don't matter if every army in the world power stood against him. can't stand against my God. And I don't care if nobody agrees with the word of the Lord. I'm standing on my own two feet before God. I don't need anybody to join up with me. I got the word of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? That kind of resolve has to come in. Why? Because Solomon doesn't care that he's down there holding the horns of the altar saying, I'm going to be little king. I'm going to be this little king. I don't care if people do that. The Lord told me that day, said, I don't care. If all these people think that they're king and they think that they can rule and run my word, my sovereign power based off of their arranging armies against me, or even trying to take the entire religious system. It means nothing to me. Don't you mess with my shoe. I'm like, don't you try to sleep with my girl. Or I'll kill you. I'm going to sit there. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I'm like, Jesus, I, I don't want to mess with your girl. <laughs> I want to mess with your girl. <laughs> I've got my wife and my six children. And I don't, nobody better mess with my girl. You know? He has a love inside of him that goes way beyond any kind of natural human love that I could even have of his love for his bride. And this bride, this, you know, I'm just going to use this contextually, this a glow. Don't you mess with my ladies. Don't you mess with her. She's learned what it is to run out of everything and just have the oil. It says there in the text in 2 Kings 4, it says she was a great woman of wealth and industry that all of what had happened there in this, this transition have moved out of this idea of I'm going to do the best I can with this but it moved out of this old order listen I, I think sometimes that the idea of running out of everything and only having the oil is the greatness of what God would want us to know. And to be able to pay off all our debts and everything from just a spoken word and a belief system. There's something more profound coming. God is king and is going to rule sovereignly the hearts of men and women. It moves out of the tangible experiential realm of God into a, well, let's just call it the glorified man. I've asked the Lord for all kind of concepts to understand what he's talking about, this Melchizedek order, and how he's transitioned us out from the old into the new. I said, Lord, what is it? Well, he's like, well, it's, it's not mommy for a minute. It's not Meg Megapolis, it's Medopolis. And I said, oh, what is that? <laughs> he said, it's the city inside of man. Mm 
Mm. He said, what did I call you? He said, you said on a hill. He said, I cannot be hidden. I was like, oh, yeah. He said, you're a royal people, a holy what? Nation. God called you a nation. Mm. I mean, you ever think when you're thinking about a nation, you think about what's inside of you? Mm. He called Abraham heir of the world. And say heir of, of Ur of the Chaldees or heir of Canaan. He called him heir of the world. What kind of inheritance is that? What? Yeah, the whole world's mine. I have a title deed. Everybody else going to do what I say. I own you. I own heir of the world. I own you. I own the land. I own all your products. I own all your industry. I own everything. That's heir of, That's what God called Abram. <laughs> this is inside of us. There's a sphere inside of men that has that much uh, going on inside of them. Listen, a glow international is transitioning in, funk, in concord the Shulamite with a Solomonic king, Jesus. It's, it's a rule and reign with him. And we're moving out of the years of just uh, intimacy based relating with the Lord, even though that is valid and we need it into a decreeing people right. who are saying exactly what our king is saying. And it's striking down yeah. this master-slave dichotomy. Yeah. Folks, what you're doing, what a glow is doing is the most subversive thing that could happen on a multinational level. You know what you're doing? You're basically saying to the powers of the air, your time has come. <laughs> My king sovereignly is ruling me. Yes. I will be ruled by no, none other but Amen. the man Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll have no other king. Amen. I don't have any place else to go anyways. Yeah. I've been run through and known what it's, not, what it's like to have nothing and just have oil. But it's beyond that now. He's mm. raising up a great lady who is in union with himself without spot or wrinkle. The bride of Christ. Yeah. Someone's had to do the, uh, the work for that. I thank God, like I said earlier, that thank God for a glow. I literally was filled with the Holy Spirit because of the work of the glow. My whole life is a testimony for that radical, wild ladies in there hollering and stuff. And you're like, what in the world? Is that kind of noise? I, so offensive to the flesh. You're like, I'm going to do my thing. I don't know what them ladies are doing interceding. Craziest thing you've ever heard in your life to the flesh. Flesh can't understand any of that. Can't understand you. Yet God has is, is, is been at work. Our, our family, when the Lord called me out of the Air Force, and we were going through this experience with the Lord to lay in the bridal thing into the soul. Now, when the Father speaks from heaven about his son, he says, this is my what? Beloved, right? Because that beloved word there, that, that kind of idea, that is that intimacy. That's that, that's that female, priestly, relating kind of thing that all of us have to have strengthened in our heart with Father. He says, he's my beloved son. He's my priest king. He's the one that I love to spend time with and relate to. And then we have something to do. He sets that beloved right off the, the bat. And we were going through this and, and uh, I started having a literal experience with the Holy Spirit with a non-presumptuous encounter with every verse of the Song of Solomon. Have an encounter with him and then 20 minutes later, sometimes a day later, because I couldn't perceive the prophetic, all of a sudden, and it would be the exact verse. 
and it would explain the situation that just happened. The Holy Spirit would illuminate my mind. I was like, whoa. And he's very methodical about this. He would go verse by verse. And every one of them would be like a suffering and a trial. And then there would be a breakthrough. And then next verse would come. And he said, I first must build the bridal paradigm into, into you. I build that into my people. Before I can raise you up as a son or as to trust me to do what I tell you to do. Because I start with relationship. Y'all have heard, there's really good books on this. Presence before perfection. You know, this kind of idea, you, the ladies really get this. Sometimes the guys know what I'm learning as a father of six. That if you go in there and you like try to dominate the whole atmosphere and structure it. And, you better get up, get up over there and get in your seat and scoot that floor. And you try that and it doesn't work very good. You have to atmospherically have a relationship that's going on so it doesn't like damage all the kids, right? right. Ladies get this. Guys, we struggle until we become fathers. And you know that you got to put out an atmosphere. Well, the Lord knows that, so He's right, really relational with us. He wants to set the beloved concept in place so that we can activate for Him. So that when the disciplines come, we're like, oh, He loves me. I can take that. Because He loves me so much. And He reinforces that so that we'll just be like, oh man, I mean, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 20 percent, he said, you tricked me, Lord. I was in love with you and now I'm in a pit. <laughs> but the prophet was doing what he was supposed to be doing. So this beloved aspect, and we're going through every verse and we get up to the Song of Psalms 713. And uh, I'm up there in my parents' house and I'm worshiping the Lord I'm in his presence and he said, you know, the old order is going to end. And I said, um, what do you mean, Lord? He's like, you know, A.A. A. Allen. I said, yeah. He said, Jack Coe. I was like, yeah. He's like, Catherine Coleman. I was like, Lord. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Old order? You call that old order? I was like, he's the greatest evangelist in the soul of the international scene, Billy Graham. This is probably, I have it written in my Bible before iPads came out, the date that this happened. But And he said, yeah, he's old. it's old order. I'm going to raise up a new order. And, of course, at that time, I didn't know anything about Melchizedek or any of that. He said, I'm going to raise up a Melchizedek order. But he said, you'll see what I'm talking about. When Billy Graham dies, it'll be the beginning of the laying in of the new order. You're tracking with me because David's dying, right? So there has to be succession. Solomon's going to reign. But the Lord's using this prophetic picture of Adonijah trying to usurp and pull the reins right there at that. And that's what we're dealing with. Adonijah is another good picture of Antichrist. What's really going on here? And so the Lord said, I'll signal the change of order when he passes, Billy Graham passes. And I said, well, okay. And so I I was, uh, I went up to my house out of my parents' house because we live on the same property. And I, I went up there and I always forget about, I don't know, y'all know this, but the next prophetic encounter, you won't like anticipate it. You can never anticipate God. Anybody ever been to anticipate what he's going to do next? It's always a suddenly, right? Like man, like the name means what is it? It's always like, what was that? There he is again. How did you do that? I couldn't have conceived of you like that. And there he is. And you're like, man, he blew me away again. And I'm always getting like blown away. And so I, I go up to my house and, uh, uh, I don't know how appropriate it is, but I have my shirt off. And I walk in there, and my wife comes in there, and she's like, 
And she's she's a sniffer. If it's a bad smell, she she sniff that thing out. She'll find it. You know, there's that dead thing over there. And I'm like, how'd you smell that? That shoe smells really bad. Did you take a shower? You know. <laughs> Let's just get real. We're all family, right? <laughs> and I got out of there and she said, Oh my goodness, what is that smell? It smells so good. And uh, she reached over and smelled my skin. She says, It's radiating off your skin. Of course, I've never smelled really good like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Man, she's attracted to me. <laughs> I'm feeling good now. <laughs> at your next verse in the Song of Solomon. I look down at Song of Solomon 713. It says, The mandrakes give forth a fragrance. Mm. And over our doors are all manner of choice fruits, mm. new and old, which I've laid up for you, oh my beloved. Mm. You can see it, right? Mm. I'm like, oh! Mandrakes, you know, I'm in all these places in my head, you know, because of Jacob and his wives and switching up out and the fear of Esau and all this stuff and then it goes on and was it Jeremiah and about the mandrakes and I'm like oh man it's just you know all these scriptures running through my head and I can't go through all of them with you this morning would be here all day and I'm like Lord you really are saying that there's an old order and there's a new one you really you just gave a prophetic sign I've never smelled that good <laughs> My wife's never told me that, except I put on cologne. I was like, it's got to be you. You're giving a signal sign that you're going to switch this thing over when Billy Graham passes away. You're going to raise up a new government of people. I'm moving this thing out, out, out from the beloved. I'm moving this thing not just in the beloved, but the beloved son. Those who would not just receive me as Savior, but as Lord. Those who want my governmental rule completely, they, they won't resist me. That they would see that I am such a safe savior and I'm worthy of their, not just their affection, but also their agreement. Not just their intimacy, but their decree. That they would say what I say. And I'm the voice of many waters who speaks from heaven. My Father's voice and I say what He says and I'm not intimidated by a whole army or even the whole entire religious system. Yeah. I'm captive to one king. Amen. Yes. So uh, we get into our, our ministry. We get in this next season, of, this prophetic season. And the Lord says, I'm, I'm raising up the root of David. Yeah. And uh, Isaiah 11, he comes into the meeting, four or five different encounters. Isaiah 11, one, you know, and from the stump of Jesse, I will raise up a root. And it will come up out of the stump. The Holy Spirit says to me, then he put this together. So a few days after this happened at the meeting, he's like, where did Billy Graham make an agreement with me? I was like, is that forest lawn or something in California? At a, or was it? Stump. He, he wrestled with God at that stump. They said he got up from that stump after he wrestled with God and said, I take you by faith and I take your word by faith and I just believe it. I can't understand it, but I believe it. And he went into that tent and preached for nine weeks straight. Yeah. Took him to New York, 50,000 mechanics, something, whatever. And or he's preaching that people are converting in mass. Why? Because a man made an agreement that God's word was more powerful Amen. than what he could think or feel. Amen. 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 It was at a stump. 
Then you go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13, it says, it says the remnant has been basically hewn down, our houses have been taken from, everything's been stripped down. And he says, I retained a seed in the stump. He said, know this next move is, is the seed in the stump. There's a root rising. Amen. Amen. Man, I feel a <laughs> There's a root of the fitting governmental yes. rule that's rising yes. up in the heart of people. Yes. It's like that prophetic voice of Graham was thundering down God and the Holy Spirit was agreeing with what he was doing and converting the heart of man and saving man. Our generations that are with us now and they went on before us. They tasted that 50 years of outpouring of God's glory. But now I would not just have you saved. I would have myself as king ruling your life. All the denominations, all the people of God got a shift. You a glow of praying it into being. Your labor of love is causing this governmental shift where the Lord's going to throw down all master-slave dichotomy. There'll be no more master-slave, Republican and Democrat. There'll be no more of it. There'll be one king who rules. Sovereign. He's the sovereign. I remember the Lord told me, he said, the priesthood message was April the 4th of 2010. Excuse me, 2010. Investiture of the day king. I remember that was on Easter. I said, I don't know what that means. I had to look it up. Investiture to receive the royal governmental right to rule from God. That night I was pacing up before, before Easter Sunday. I said, Lord, I don't even know. And he said to this to me. He says, sovereignty rests in the individual at the point the individual rests in the sovereign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to understand the global glory of what God is doing in the next move, it is sovereignty rests in the individual. Yes. When you rest in God, He's sovereignly right rulership over my life and there's no other place for me to go but to Him. When you rest in that and you're not, oh God, what are you doing now? I don't know, this is hurting. And all that stuff, we're trying to get out of His presence and move away from Him. He's like, just rest, little one. Trust me. Rest in me. And He's like, when you rest in me, you come into true authority. Right? Sovereign, you rest in an individual. At the point, the individual rests in the sovereign. When you rest in God, you have sovereign right to governmentally rule with Him. He's no respecter of persons. Male, female, any race, Jew or Gentile. It's a mystery, Paul said, that you have the right by God, it's governmental rule, to decree a thing and it will come to pass. Hey, that's power right there. You say it and it will be. When God says something, He saw it. It says that in Genesis. He said, let there be light. And saw that there was. When God says something, He sees it. You and I are of the God class. We're creating His likeness and image. It wasn't supposed to be any different for us. Whatever you say, you will see. Whether good or bad, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Hey, the Joshua generation had to learn this. They had to learn that they could sit and decree a thing more than they could go do a thing. You have that in you when you rest in God. Hey, I say, because God said, and I'm always saying what he says, let it be done. And watch it happen right in front of your eyes. Yesterday morning, I said, I'd like to have me a bag of coffee. And I like dark roast from Starbucks. And I wanted the, I like Italian very particularly. And there's some other ones I like, but that one is more mainstream and I can get a hold of it quicker. 
Last night, I pulled in a Starbucks. This guy's name is Brian. I've met him four times, but not had any kind of conversation. Comes up to me and says, you want something? I'll get you something. He runs into the store, grabs a bag of Italian roast, and brings it out to me and says, I just want to give you this. This man ain't more saved than a goose is. I said, yeah. I was like, I just prayed for that. He said, you're a preacher. <laughs> and I said, yes. He said, so that's your gig. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if it's a gig. <laughs> but, <laughs> I just pray for him. The Lord's going to save him, you know. But he just brings me to Italian roast just like I said. I, I said it and I got my coffee. I got, and, he's, and I got it in the bean form because that's what I wanted. Because I grind it myself and it's really nice. He's smelling everything. You know, it's got to be a certain way. Now I'm like, we're sending half and half. Because <laughs> yesterday I didn't have one dollar, literally, at all, to buy even the half and half. It's okay. It don't matter. So we have the oil. We have the oil. Who cares? I love what you said, man, about what you saw on your mission. Feel with joy in the presence of God, irregardless. Because it got the oil. And now that we got the oil, now we got the decree of a king. And I tell you, I really believe everything that you're going through right now, because you're being prepared, is testing your heart to see what you'll put more focus on. Are you going to try to raise up a defense system for yourself and advocate for yourself? I'll just get into application now. I've, I've done the revelation and interpretation. Now comes the application. And Jesus is like, hey, if someone does you wrong, don't take them to court. Don't sue them. Bless them. Like, am I trying to advocate for myself all the time? Somebody says something wrong about me, misunderstands me. You're going to be misunderstood. But am I going to try to build a defense system around that? Understand? I'm going to try to save myself. Am I really trying to find a way to save myself all the time? In my finances, in my relationships, am I trying to stay alone and apart from other people because I can't deal with them? They've hurt me. They've said wrong things about me. I don't need a defense system. I mean, when, when three nations attack Jehoshaphat, like you mentioned earlier, they've got like probably like hoes and shovels and stuff because they're agri agricultural people. Israel is. They have all this technology is coming against them. That's what I want to do. That's what the king does. Blasted three armies. Can't touch someone on their knees. That's right. Am I going to build a defense, a robust defense system? Not with a heart like David. I just need a. I don't even know. Oh, there's some stars. Take that. He messed with my God. Talk bad about him. You're declaring something that's not. He's not like. I won't have it. I don't need all your technology, Saul. Strip me down of everything I've got. I've got oil. <laughs> i got to get everybody on my side. How do you do this? People that love Jesus are crazy anyways. I mean, in a way, they're, they're fools for Christ. Right, yeah. How's everybody going to get on your side anyways? Right. <laughs> the only thing that's going to get the people on the side with is spirit, spirit. That's right. Because right. that's, that's the spirit of the Lord yeah. that dwells in them. That's him talking. I can get along with that. That's right. That other thing, that ain't, that's not the Lord, but I can get on with that. So we don't need to build robust defense systems to protect ourselves. Culturally, nationally, internationally, 
We don't need an industrial defense con construct. This last week, I was reading about Afghanistan stuff, and Lord's like, "Look at this." I was studying, and He's like, "Look at all these nations that superpowers have won against Afghanistan and humbled the entire nation." I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "That's interesting, Lord. What would you do?" He asked me. What would you do, based off what you know about me now? Would you go in there and like kill a bunch of Arabs and stuff and things like that? I said, well, "I don't know." Based off your government, we have to we have to send an army in for the purpose of protection and put worship team in the middle of the army. <laughs> Unseat the principality that's over Afghanistan with a bunch of intercessors. Start praying and then let the people come in to the middle of that through the protection that's around just the worship teams. Let them convert. And then as they convert, expand. And keep expanding the army out and building a post and then the Taliban converts and the Al-Qaeda converts because everybody wants Jesus. And then flowers stop propping up everywhere. We build, we construct. I think you got it, son. That's how you take Afghanistan. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Worship, prayer, God's kingdom, advancing culture. We are the trendsetters of culture. We are. We're, we're the ones that set the stage. And Chloe's been doing this. Lord has come in. He's like, look, all this they have done for me, and now I'll make this transition. And I need, I need them to make a transition with me. I need them to decree a thing and let it be so. And you know, this morning I, we start to worship, and I'm like, I feel the tears just pouring because we need that moment of refreshing, so that when the refreshing time to refreshing comes, and we're renewed in the Lord, then we can. Take that, powers of the air. Take that, my king. I love him. You love him. That we're giving over to him. Let's all stand. Burn in us, Lord. A fire cannot be pointed to all the waters of this world cannot put out a fire that's already been kindled. Lord, that you kindle the flame in us. It's glowing, Lord. And we're lit up by you, Jesus. We want you, Lord. And we just say, let your kingdom, Lord, that's in the heavens come now into this earth. Lord, we thank you that you're unseating the powers of the air and you're enthroning the places, Lord, with your people right now. And globally, all the powers have to come down because there's, there's a new king pacing through the grounds of different hearts of people all over the planet. Jesus, we thank you. Have your way. Have your way with us. Kill locally, regionally, statewide, nationally, and internationally. We ask you to throw down, Lord, through the churches, Lord, throw down every power, Lord. Break the heads over many countries, Lord. Let the places be filled, Lord, with the death of lifelessness has come from the enemy's camp, Lord that your government word can rule and reign.
Reflect in the sky And our eyes have been on 